welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. In every episode of this podcast, I chat to established leaders and exciting new voices exploring our ever-evolving field of content strategy. We cover all the topics that inform how we shape digital content, from user experience design to customer experience, accessibility to content design, and everything in between. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you are all enjoying these waning days of summer. I returned not too long ago from a very long road trip through Yellowstone and uh, Glacier Park with my two teens. That was an adventure. We actually had a really great time. And I am also very proud to say that when we crossed the border into Montana, I had officially visited all 50 states, even Alaska. That's correct. So I feel that that is a big accomplishment in my life and in my career. Actually, the reason that I visited all 50 states is largely because of my career, all the running around that I've done. And in all the running around that I've done in my career, a human being that I have encountered on more than one lovely occasion is here with us today. How's that for a segue? Yeah. How am I doing? Hey, Gord. Hi. Hi. That <laughs> I'd was like lovely. To, I'd like, yeah, I don't know. I was reaching a little bit, but I also suddenly realized, boy, if I don't wrap this up, I'm going to start talking about all the different wildlife we saw in Yellowstone and nobody wants to hear about that except maybe the bears. We did see some bears, but we saw them from the car window, not like coming around the corner on a trail. So that was lucky. Was it a content strategy bear? <gasps> content strategy bear. We'll link to content strategy bear. <laughs> Content Strategy Bear showed up in several of my presentations in the early 2010s. I will link to that. Anyway, that was a good question. It was not Content Strategy Bear, nor was it Smokey the Bear. Okay, before everybody like stops listening to this podcast, I'm going to introduce you and we're going to get going because you are way more interesting than my bear sightings, even that. Um, having cut his teeth on technical writing, document design, and intranet management, Gord Roberts officially made the jump to content strategy in 2013 and hasn't looked back. He currently leads a small but mighty team of web content designers and publishers at Canada's Central Bank in the nation's capital of Ottawa, Ontario. Gord lives with his wife, their two children, and I can attest, having seen this in the background of my virtual meetings with Gord, an astonishingly large Star Trek collection. Gord, welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to have you here. Me too. Hey, (laughs) yay. Hey, so a thing that I ask all of my guests right at the top is to tell me a little bit about your journey to content strategy. Would you mind sharing that with our listening audience? I do not mind at all, right? It it really does boil down to technical writing. (laughs) What's my entry point? I think you've said that before. It seems like most content strategists either come in through technical writing or journalism. And it was um, technical writing for me. My background's in linguistics. And I don't know, I just, I was always fascinated by language and the structure of language. And I think that led me into linguistics. And then from there, I just kind of stumbled into technical writing as my first grown-up job. I did that as a software company for about 12 years. And I think in in my time there, I just, I, I kept thinking, I just remember thinking in the back of my head, what would happen if we got the technical writers together with the marketers and the support people? Like, couldn't we all be working on the same things together? Like, say, have a unified content strategy and all work on these things at the same time instead of working in silos. 
And I sort of put together a plan at the company I was at for that. We just got it started. I think it was just a little bit ahead of its time there. And I think that's when I really sort of, I, I found I found out about you. I started to find out about Confab about that time. And that just sort of led one thing to another. I jumped from there to intranet management at another organization for a few years. And that led me to enterprise content strategy and enterprise knowledge strategy. And then I made the jump from there into my current role doing website content strategy at the Bank of Canada. So let me go back just a minute because I want to talk about your experience at Confab, which is the content strategy conference that we produce here at Brain Traffic. 2014, Confab was still, it was just a couple of years old and people were pretty fired up about website content strategy, enterprise content strategy. What at Confab sort of set off light bulbs for you? Like, oh, this is thing that I knew should happen, this coming together of these different silos so that we're all one centralized function. Were there any sort of like aha moments for you there? Right. You have said this many times before, like it like it really was like finding my people. Like, oh, <laughs> you all get what I do. And and that was exciting. And it sort of gave me by, I think by that time, by 2014, so I would have been two or so years out of my old role doing technical writing. And and I I just remember, yeah, it was a total light bulb moment of, oh, there are other people out here who do this. That I think the thing that really drove me to go to Confab that year was I, I was doing the intranet management at a time for a, a social intranet that was entirely distributed publishing and really trying to wrap my head around, the, you know, how, how you, do you make that work? That a little bit immediately rolls us into this topic that you and I have gone back and forth about quite a bit, which is content ops. And it's and it's interesting that the seeds that kind of were planted at those early Confab content strategy conferences, those are the conversations that kept coming up, right? Like, how do we make the distributed publishing work? How do we bring silos together? How do we advocate for this idea of, if not centralized services, then at least sort of centralized guiding principles and, you know, frameworks in which we operate to create and produce and take care of content. And this topic has really become a little bit of like a passion of yours. And and can you can you just talk to me a little bit about how you see content ops? What is that? And then the relationship between that and content strategy. Right. I love that phrase you use there about good practices. I, I think the the word governance in and of itself has probably always scared me <laughs> a little bit. And I think scares a lot of people because well, it just it does. It implies top down policing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I Every time I hear governance, I picture in my head like this giant bag of rules that just goes thunk on the desk in front of you. <laughs> and, and I remember reading probably about the same time I was at Confeb 2014. I remember reading uh, Digital Chaos, Lisa Welchman's book about that time too. And that just blew my mind. I really am a fan of good, good practices. Just, you know, what are the, I'm a big fan. I think this is what I like about content a lot. It's, it's a big gray space there. You know, there's no, there's no extremes of content. It's all messy and it's all ambiguous and you have to get comfortable with that ambiguity and just navigating that gray space. And I, and, and I think what I like about my favorite part of governance is sort of setting those boundaries. What's the frame we can set up that people can work within. It's it's but the last organization I work, we used to call it freedom within a frame. That's my approach to 
governance, operations, you know, repeatable process. What are the good practices, the things that we've tried that we know work? Let's do more of those. The things that we know that don't work, let's stop doing those things. And is that something that is coming from sort of centralized ownership? Because I know that that can often be a struggle is that teams will introduce here are best practices, here are guidelines. I think, you know, if we would all sort of play from the same content playbook, we could create really cohesive user experiences across all these touch points. How, tell me a little bit about how that works specifically at the Bank of Canada. Actually, back up for just a second. Tell me, talk to me a little bit about the specifics of your role at the Bank of Canada. Right. Yeah. So we, we really are we really are half and half, at least with within my team. So when I started the bank for almost five years ago now, I was hired as the bank's web content strategist on the web team. And over time, I thought it made sense to, to sort of fold both the publishing operations and, and I really wanted to, to get into more. I wanted to set up a content design shop. And my director, Andrew Garrity, was super supportive of that and helped me make that happen with our senior leadership team. And it, and it I, I really, I love what I do. I love content strategy. I love design. I'm learning more and more about content ops. I really like that phrase. I enjoyed the podcast a couple of weeks ago with John Collins. Like this is all really top of mind to me right now. And what I'm learning and seeing more and more every day is, you, you know, to make content strategy work, you you need to have design and ops working together. Your design can only go so far without having those real world, world scenarios coming in of things that you actually need the website to do, the requests that are coming in. And, and you can do so many cool things by helping ops and design learn from one another. So that's really interesting to me that you talk about at your organization that content strategy is acting as like a connective fiber between design and ops, as you call them. Gord, in between kind of where you sit with content strategy and you talk about ops and, and design needing to work together, tell me what a typical week looks like for you there. Right. I'm, I'm a big fan of regular touch points. And uh, I know I'm not a fan of meetings for the sake of meetings, but I do find a lot of, I find the, the biggest way to get things moving forward is to get people in the rhythm, develop the repeatable processes, even, even the repeatable dialogue about, you know, what is it we need to do this week? What do we need to, to work together on? So honestly, pretty much every Monday for me is, is quick touch points with my closest partner groups, most of them within communications. And that's literally what we do is talk about what is it we need to work together on this week? What do we need to get ahead of for next week? What's up and coming that we might need to also be working on maybe in subgroups? That's, that's typically my Monday. Uh, I'm a big fan of sort of like setting up the pins <laughs> for, sure. for the week, you, you know, with those, with those touch points. And I run working groups and same things. And usually by end of day Monday or into Tuesday, I'm through all those. I have a good sense. Everybody knows exactly what we're tackling uh, together that week. I get out of the way and then I'm there. I jump in to support everybody, you know, one-on-ones, let's say, or, or there might be separate breakout sessions to get done what we need to do that week for the rest of the week. And tell me how the teams are set up. Is it, do you have a content team, like four people who are responsible for one section of the website and then they go to the designers for assistance with laying out a page or whatever? I mean, who? tell me about the different roles 
that exists within your team? Right. So within my division, so I mentioned my director, Andrew. So within his division, we've got we've got the developers and they actually report into uh, the IT department in the bank. But we're sort of together as a functional unit, which is which is really fantastic. And then I manage the content team with the publishers and uh, content designers. I have a colleague, Mike, who runs the, the graphics and publishing production team. So a lot of our major publications, that would be what Mike's team leads. And we've also got employee communications with my colleague, Heather, that's embedded within our digital strategy and services division, we call it too. It's really all of the, the key players that we need to plan these things out, you know, design them, critique them amongst ourselves and get them delivered working with our business partners, either in our broader communications department or different departments, business departments across the bank. What are some of the elements then that you will use between your teams as those common principles and frameworks just about in terms of actually using content strategy to sort of serve as that overarching guide, you know, to pull together design and ops? Yeah, one of the tricks in my toolkit is to meet people where they are. A couple of years ago, I, I, a couple of years ago, Confab, I spoke about the chicken and the egg of content and design, and which comes first. And I, I spoke about, you know, I, I actually am a big fan of even just getting people to work together in Microsoft Word files, and and just just focus on the text of the page. Can we just focus on the structure, the headings? How is the, how is the content here organized? Track changes with edits, comments, and that kind of thing. Distill it right down to can we just focus on the text for starters? And once we've got that figured out, well, then we can move on and see what it's going to look like within a web page, for example. But let's start with the text and work with people in the tools and in the ways, be that email, virtual meeting, Microsoft Teams chat, meet people in those spaces that they're comfortable with, because that's where you get to the good stuff. And how then do you collaborate with folks in those spaces? Is it is it live meetings? Is it back and forth with edits? Yeah, all of all of the above. In part, in part, it, it depends on the team. It depends on the the type of content, the type of information that that we're working on. I'm generally a fan of working. Like, can we just focus on the text as as long as possible? One of the other things we have to do because we're Canada's central bank, everything we're delivering in English, we also need to deliver in French on the website. So we're factoring in translation, working with our editorial team, and and that kind of thing too. A lot of the work I try and do is to simplify things for everybody. Can we get a can we get a plan? Can we lock down our English text as early as possible so that we can get it to translation sooner? And I'm a big gap filler too. So whatever it is I'm I'm called in to advise on or you know carefully interject myself into, I try and fill gaps. For me, even if that's something small as I don't know, off, offering to, you know, take down the notes and actions or draft some text that everybody can react to, even if even if what I come up with is really bad. All I'm trying to do is show the value of what I'm trying to do and help people trust me and get them on board with working with me because then they're going to want to come to me even sooner next time. What's so interesting to me in hearing you talk about leading a team is that you don't really talk about managing. You talk about supporting, you talk about filling gaps, you talk about 
coordinating and building bridges and building trust and so on. And yet you, that is a, that is a leadership style. You had to lead your team as so many people did through this unbelievable year. Now it's going on a year and a half. Thanks, COVID. Change these unprecedented times. And I know that there were certain organizations, I think a lot of organizations actually were just like, oh, right, the content. This is <laughs> this is really important, the copy on our website now, all of a sudden in a way that we didn't realize previously because everybody is at home and they're turning to us digitally. So I would imagine that there were some unique pressures on your team. Talk to me a little bit about how you led them through those times. Yes, absolutely unique uh, pressures, especially because, you know, early on with this too, there was a lot of urgent communications to get up on the website. So one, not only are we trying to get that work done, but two, we're trying to get that done on on a laptop, on a dining room table at home, let's say. The... One funny enough, it was not funny at the time, but funny enough, I had to learn a lot of this the hard way about how to work virtually and how to lead teams through unusual circumstances. At my previous job, we had an office fire there over the the year end holidays, while all of us, while most people had their laptops, you know, had left their laptops on their desks (laughs) at the office over the holidays. So we all had to, we just woke up one morning and suddenly we're told, uh, you will all be working from home effective immediately. We don't know for how long. And it ushered in at my previous organization, just, you know, a lot of that culture about new ways of working and working virtually. And we don't all need to be in the same room at the same time to decide on things. It doesn't even necessarily need to be a meeting. So the short answer to your question is a lot of what I learned there I was able to jump in and apply right away to my own working when the pandemic work from home kicked in last year, apply to sort of coaching and leading my team through it. And then all these partner teams I mentioned I work closely with, kind of coaching everybody along too. The first thing I did was switch all of our our meetings to virtual and just lead them all and coach people through, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to do the agenda ahead of time. And we're going to go through it together. I'm going to take notes live and share my screen. I'm going to talk everybody through and I'm going to watch for you to go on and off mute. And I just sort of coached people through to try and help everybody get things as you know normal feeling as possible. I, along with everybody else, I mean, I mean, we had at Brain Traffic, we had six weeks to turn a physical conference into a virtual conference. And that was a masterclass, not only in what are we doing for production, but also in communication, right? In terms of like, how were we selling this new product now? How were we encouraging people to trust us and still come and be a part of this community? And part of what we found was so critical, even as a small company, was really being able to sync up messaging and information on our website with the messaging and information that was going out in emails, not only to new people we were trying to sell to, but also to people who had already purchased tickets, who we needed to give them choices, plus, you know, across social, plus update all of our metadata. I mean, there were a million different places where the messaging had to shift and it had to shift quickly. Did you find that or have have you had that happen with your within your team, within the website and associated 
communications? And if so, how did you all manage that from a coordination standpoint? Right. I think one of the one of the things I've learned from scenarios like that is while you've got people's attention focused on needing to do something very specific very quickly, for content people, we can we can be using that same sort of strategy and attention all over the place. So for example, one of the one of the things I do now, if I know that there's a project coming up and they need to deliver X, Y, Z in a certain amount of time, well, while we already know we've got everybody's attention focused on getting that done, what else can we get done at the same time alongside that that we've been wanting to do? Can we can we you know work in alongside a content audit and do a bit of a cleanup? Can we do we have some subject matter questions we've been looking for that we can kind of sync up with that? But, you know, use not you know you got to watch for scope creep, but those opportunities, besides helping to get the work focused and done in the way that makes sense, the amount of camaraderie and, and collaboration you, you get out of that is astounding. Tell me a little bit then, you've, you've talked about collaboration quite a bit. What are, and you talked about wanting to, you know, having people kind of meeting them where they are. So maybe you're collaborating in Microsoft Word, for example. Where else do you collaborate with folks? Right. Sometimes I, I will say it has it has shifted. Working from home has shifted it. We have uh, our uh, digital strategy team has our own sort of dedicated breakout space that we can work in. And, you know, the stereotypical pictures that we have of, you know, designers, developers, content, people all working together with stickies on on glass walls or whiteboards. Honestly, that <laughs> That was part of our day was working in in there together and actually moving things around and sketching things out. I will say, working virtually, we have had to shift more. As I say, even even in my own toolkit, I, I use Word a lot and getting people to just you know look at the words together one way or the other. Mockups are another one that we do. Let's actually take that stuff in and put it in a sample web page and move things around and and play with components design components for it and you know actually iterate together and build something live to see how it works i'm going to change the topic just a little bit and ask you this question in a recent conversation that we had we were talking about content design versus content strategy and content design in apps versus content design and you know websites blah, blah, blah. and you were very adamant that you are going to hold on to this term website content strategy until your dying breath. Talk to me about, and then you also mentioned though, that you have introduced a content design function at your organization. Talk to me about why you love website content strategy. Right. Yeah. And it's funny, each, each time I sort of made a career or an industry shift, let me say it was because there was some other aspect of content strategy I really wanted to to delve into. I, you know, the first job was technical writing and and it was really online help I was delivering. And I, I really did want to delve more into employee experience and intranet. And that's sort of why I shifted there and segued from there into enterprise content management. How do you make what's on SharePoint gel with what's on the intranet, for example? But I wasn't yet really getting to dabble in the external stuff. And that's part of what appealed to me then about the web content strategy role of the Bank of Canada was getting to work on website content and social content together. The The reason I like having design and publishing operations under that same 
sort of web content strategy umbrella is because ultimately you need to make sure it's all moving in the in the right direction. You know, even if you don't have or don't need a dedicated content strategy statement for everything, just having that group of people together working on the content together, everybody bringing a little something to the table and having it under that umbrella of content strategy, making sure you're headed in the right direction with it. That's I, I, like, I just, I love it. And where and when do you, because I, in listening to you talk, I feel like a lot of where you identify your own success or where you get your own fulfillment is really from the empowerment and collaboration that you're able to facilitate within your own team. Talk to me a little bit about the end user or the customer, the person that is using the citizen, the person who's using the website. How often are you either in touch with that, with the customer voice or working with analytics or research? Is that something that is a part of your day-to-day or are you largely kind of empowering and equipping people to serve that customer? Right. When it, we, I am very fortunate and my senior director, Annie Portalance, was what helped me make this happen. And he started up a research and planning function within my sort of broader communications division and brought analysts in to to help us do public awareness surveys and really analyze the the website content social content and and help me understand how it was performing and now that's part of sort of the regular functions that we have every every month let's say is getting a bunch of us together to look at how things are performing and but my favorite part of all of that is Starting to starting to have the discussions with folks about okay, what did we learn that we can change right now? What's a little something we can do to test or experiment? Or what's one small change we see from this that we could either do more of, or that tells us maybe we should stop, maybe we should stop or do a little bit of less of that, and then let's meet next month and see what a difference it made. I love that stuff. You know, another thing that's interesting to me, and I've I've had this theme come up across my last several chats with folks, is you've said on multiple occasions just in the last half hour, I was so lucky with the support of my director or because of the work that that my, you know, the advocacy of, of my boss. I have really seen in my own work, especially over the last couple of years, that without leadership that gets it, it can be very difficult to work on behavioral change and perception of the value of content design and content strategy. Have you ever been in a position, at least in one of your past jobs, where you really were having to make that case in terms of here's the value of the work, here's how we can shift behavior, here's how our organization can function better from a content ops perspective, so that we are delivering that clear, consistent, meaningful, effective content. Right. Across across all the content work I've done, I would say when that does happen, the biggest thing I've learned is that just, just because if we can't make it happen right now, it might just be because it's not the right time. <laughs> Uh, and I'm thinking of examples like the the you know when I was in when I was in technical writing and really trying to come up with a, a sort of like corporate wide plan on how can we sync up all the content around that you know even just starting with an editorial calendar I, I just couldn't quite get there yet just because the timing just wasn't just wasn't right and folks maybe weren't just quite 
ready to think about content or, or, you know, building bridges, breaking down silos in that way. So I just, I try and keep that top of mind in everything I do when I, when I, when it does feel like, or maybe we're not going to be able to push this one as far forward as I, as I like right now, that doesn't mean we're not ever going to be able to do it. Why don't I just park that one for now and, and pick the moment to come back to it later. Gord, I, we're just about out of time, but I do have a question that I've been wanting to ask you. Uh, this is, you've been kind of a longstanding member of the content strategy community. And what we have seen is this really fast, really exciting evolution, just I would say over the last couple of years around content design and UX writing and, and product content strategy and the relationship between kind of those three areas of practice. And we debuted Button, our content design conference last fall, and there's a ton of buzz around that. And it's just sort of like content design is like the new shiny bright thing in the room. What What is your advice or counsel to people who are like, yeah, content design, that's what, that's what I want to get into. What are some of the things that you would suggest or encourage them to kind of be thinking about in the in the months and years to come right i i love some of the discussions that they've been having recently about you know remembering that there's a difference between what folks job titles are and what their sort of like roles or responsibilities are and uh, the biggest thing i would say is you know content strategy is so big like even just as we've talked here about it today there's so many different ways it applies it it can it can be it can be very messy at times. Find your thing. If you like working in content, find your thing. Try lots of things out. But I think the thing that's going to give you the the most joy day in and in day out is just being able to focus on find that one thing you uniquely can do, and and figure out a way to take the biggest advantage of that. And you know, worry less about your job title and more about figuring out ways to do that really marvelous thing that maybe really only you can do. Go do that thing and enjoy doing that thing. Because as I say, content sometimes, sometimes content work is so hard. You need to find your joy and you need to find that unique thing that you can do to really help yourself push it forward. And, you know, I will add on to that. I hear from a lot of folks, oh, I don't have anything unique to contribute. It's all already been said. And I just, I'm the, look at all these smart people in the field and what could I possibly contribute? And what I always have to remind people is the thing that you do, that you know inside and out, that you could happily like stand up and just go off about in front of a room of 50 people and feel zero imposter syndrome because you know it so well. Like that's your, that oftentimes is your joy. That's where you have dug in. That is where you have expertise and you have experience. And most people don't, like people want to hear about that. So go forth and self-advocate. Do, yes. And like, don't, don't be afraid. You know, when, the, when a button call for speakers goes out or a confab call for speakers go out, put your idea in. Don't worry if you think somebody else has done it before. We want to hear from you. You have something unique to offer own it and and be proud and enjoy sharing it. Absolutely. That actually leads to a good thing, which is that the Confab call for speakers for Confab the Content Strategy Conference coming up in May 2022, I believe it's going to be open by the time we are able to air this podcast. So I encourage everybody to go to confab, C-O-N-F-A-B, events.com and submit your idea. 
And in the meantime, too, if you are hoping to find your people like Gord and the other content enthusiasts we've discussed uh, today, I hope that you will join us at Button Conference happening in October. And the URL for that is buttonconf.com. And tickets are on sale now. Gord, thank you so much for joining me today at the Content Strategy Podcast. It is a joy as always. And next time I am looking for a mortgage, I will not call you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. But I know I cannot help you with your mortgage. (laughs) That's okay. There are a lot of other things you can help me with, I know. Okay. All right. Thank you, Gord. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Content Strategy Podcast. Our podcast is brought to you by Brain Traffic, a content strategy services and events company. It's produced by Robert Mills with editing from Bear Value. Our transcripts are from Rev.com. You can find all kinds of episodes at contentstrategy.com. And you can learn more about brain traffic at braintraffic.com. See you soon.